Hello, everybody. I'm Lauren Fritz, and I will be impersonating your minister today. You know, I think I've been up here maybe four or five times over the years, and each time I get up here, I have this secret fantasy to throw away my script, call the band back up, and just just rock out, you know, the whole time. You know, Ken and Lee are gone, and I am, I am pretty sure that Teresa is bribable. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of buttons on that podcast machine back there. I bet it's really easy to hit the wrong one. Um, and oops, I, I don't know why I didn't record. You know, hey, hey, Lauren, how'd it go? It was great. It was really great. Um, I, I love, I love freedom. I love independence. Um, so, so independence. It's a wonderful thing. I was raised to be a free thinker, to thrive in a climate of independence. It works out great. It works out great when you're strong, when you're smart, and young. Uh, You know, perhaps if you live in the right country, right neighborhood, right economy, perhaps if you have the right skin tone, the right gender, if you're disease-free, if you have loved ones that are disease-free, if you're not vulnerable to aging, violence, to being shot at, When you have resources to protect and counteract these things from happening to anyone that you care about. Independence is wonderful if you have the good fortune to remain invincible. But in the real world, in our world, it alone only takes you so far. When we start to feel the strain from our real lives happening, as they do, we feel pressure from the construct of independence not being enough. Parker Palmer describes this as the myth of rugged individualism, which is on the other end of the continuum to interdependence. I become curious about what other systems work better when people I love, including people who are aging, who are sick without medicine, who are targeted when they leave home alone, who are given less chances for a variety of reasons, who can help themselves less because our society does not allow for their independence as fairly and easily as it does for some of us, when these people get a raw, raw deal, I want to know what works better. A few months ago, I started leading HeartWorks. HeartWorks is a ministry of heart-centered giving and receiving that through conscious action and service fosters connection compassion, and respect. For me, a major source of inspiration for how we organize our thinking has come from Parker Palmer's book, Healing the Heart of Democracy. For me, it has served as a headlight through the fog in this time of challenge and hurt in our society. I really recommend it. In the book, he refers to five habits of the heart. I want to spend some time talking about these today because they are so pertinent to how we move forward not only in HeartWorks, but in our Wellsprings community and in our communities at large. He first mentions that we need a mixture of chutzpah and humility. Recognizing that we have voices that need to be heard and also understanding that each of us only ever has a partial truth 
we must learn to speak with clarity and conviction, perhaps even learning that what we think is truth may not be true at all. It involves a different level of listening. In Harwork's terms, it is doing more than simply coming here each Sunday and getting our fix of church. It is figuring out how we can take what is in our hearts and become those lessons of showing up in our life. Actualizing through earnest participation, perhaps in a core ministry or through service, or in our everyday action and behavior. Palmer talks about the fact that though we carry an illusion of independence, we are all profoundly interconnected as species. We are all in this together. This means being accountable to one another, and most importantly, having an appreciation for otherness. While it is instinctive to develop tribes or groups of belonging, he challenges us to define hospitality toward those who are different from us as the idea that there are no strangers. In this thinking, us and them does not have to mean us versus them. The unfamiliar has something to teach us, an attitude of expansiveness and curiosity. This is integral to our being able to serve and extend in artworks. We must be willing to risk and grow to do so. Remember the chutzpah and humility? This is the humility part. Another of his principles involves the ability to hold tension in life-giving ways. When we learn to do this, we become creative and generate insight and energy. Parker Palmer refers to our founding fathers in one of his live town hall meetings. He tells the story of how in 1778, during the Constitutional Convention, this group of white male landowners still had fundamental differences. One-third of the delegates even refused to sign the document, angrily stating to the others that they put a pox on all their houses. He goes on to say that one-third is about the ratio of folks in his own family that he has trouble talking politics with. And that this means that he has an all-American family. But then he speaks about how although there were deep divisions, the Founding Fathers treated conflict not as the enemy, but as the engine of social order. When we don't learn to do this, we shut down and withdraw from social interactions. You know, our lives are inherently full of contradictions. He suggests beginning the process of bridging conflict by initially looking for patches of common ground before trying to address problems. He gives an example of a retreat of folks who held different positions on abortion. They were forbidden to share their positions on abortion until the last day of the retreat. Instead, sharing their stories of how they came to those positions with one another throughout the retreat. What they found was that while their positions may not have changed, they developed shared compassion for one another through the listening and the storytelling, inviting mutual respect and authenticity into the process beyond stark and polar endpoints. His final two habits of the heart speak to the developing sense of personal voice and strengthening of our communities. You know, many of us have grown up in educational and religious institutions that treat us as spectators, members of an audience. He suggests that regardless of our age, 
it is possible to find our voices and become actors, participants toward positive change. This is the chutzpah part. He feels strongly that these habits of the heart must be lived out by the leaders in the places where we live and work. The places where the company of strangers gather, our neighborhoods, classrooms, congregations, volunteer associations, and workplaces. This is democracy within our reach, functioning at the core places that we behave and become. And this brings us to HeartWorks. This stuff makes sense to me. I see it as a direct antidote to much of what we are dealing with in our society right now. I am actively using this in how we think and act within HeartWorks. This ministry has had one great first year before I came aboard And I want to share with you just some of the neat examples of what has happened within our congregation. In the past year, under Monica Perma's leadership, HeartWorks grew a foundation of loving and intentional service. One of the projects that was accomplished as a team was to make over 80 meals that originated from Wellspringer's favorite recipes that were then frozen and shared with the people in the congregation throughout the year as the needs arose. These meals were all utilized. Another need that was met through HeartWorks team was to help Carol Breslin's family when her mother needed to come live with them from Pittsburgh when it was clear that her dementia had progressed beyond a certain point. The HeartWorks team took turns covering shifts with Carol's mom to help the transition happen more smoothly until a new routine could be developed for Carol and her family. A third example of the HeartWorks team at work involved Andrea Tolleson and her partner, Christy Chamberlain, and Andy's son, Ethan. Andy needed surgery that involved a prolonged recovery time involving lifted weight restrictions regarding what she was allowed to lift. While it is normal to think of HeartWorks helping the person receiving surgery, what was also apparent in talking with this family was how much stress was relieved from Christy the main caregiver by HeartWorks providing some assistance. Christy described HeartWorks' presence as ridiculously helpful. (laughs) The team provided meals and some childcare coverage for Ethan. Andy realized later that she could not go grocery shopping and lift the grocery bags without exceeding the weight restriction. So she called and asked if a HeartWorks team member could go shopping with her and lift the bags to her cart and then from her cart to her car. The job description is flexible. You never quite know what's going to be needed. Andy was really happy to know that she could reach out and have someone there to help. These are a few of the quiet and beautiful things that have been happening behind the scenes around here. And then there's the heartworks to come. So what I just described is vital and integral to our mission. That all stays, and we are growing. Along the lines of Parker Palmer's holding tension in life-giving ways, we have begun something called challenging, Challenges of Courageous Kindness. This phase, Courageous Kindness, first took on meaning for me back in 2005. I would like to tell you a story about this experience. This is my husband and my son, Jake. 
of you are aware that I am a kidney donor. When people know this, a common response for people to tell you is how selfless and honorable you are. My response is often just to smile when this happens. Today I'm sharing with you what was really going on in my mind prior to my final decision to donate my kidney. This process first began when I had received an email from my mother's brother sharing that his wife, my aunt, who was not my blood relative, needed a kidney and that they were asking for people willing to be tested. My aunt came from a large Irish family with many siblings. The likelihood that one of them would want to help her was very high. At the time, I had a husband and a sweet, healthy two-year-old son. Our family's life was just beginning. I agreed to be tested, learning shortly thereafter that my aunt's sister was eager to be her donor. Soon after that, we learned that the medical condition that caused my aunt her own kidney disease also disqualified all of her siblings from becoming donors. I continued forward in the process. While I was excited, I was also worried that this could have larger implications for my life, lost wages, physical pain. I kept moving on. Finally, we learned that I shared five of the eight markers with my aunt, though we were unrelated, that allowed a match to proceed. I could be her donor. This was thrilling, no doubt. Yet inside me, a voice was panicked. Part of me was looking for the exit, wondering, what did I do? This was too big. I remember sitting there with papers in front of me, clearing the hospital of all liability should I happen to die, because this was an elective surgery on my part. I remember looking at my husband and my two-year-old son, wondering how I could leave them this way if something went wrong. Then, I remember the deepest, wisest voice from within me saying this is the right thing to do. Yes, I'm scared. You can do things when you're scared. Reach past this fear, keep on walking right through it, and listen to that part of yourself that can stretch and help and create a better, kinder reality. Don't stop in the fear. And so I didn't. And I came to understand the feeling of what I now call and know as courageous kindness. This feeling that we can each challenge ourselves beyond our comfort zones to bring goodness or quality of life to another human being is what I want to bring to this ministry. This may be service, but it may be something different. I want to clearly offer an invitation here. We are a ministry in development. Courageous kindness is about action and intention from the heart. It may take many forms. Now, if you would just kindly open your order of service and simply select the organ of your choice that you are willing to part with today. We, we will have the kindest congregation of all. What the hell did, did Lauren do while we were gone? Another way that we are growing is to expand HeartWorks into our community. We will begin by offering four volunteer days of service throughout the year. These will be one-day opportunities open to all of Wellsprings. The first of these will be Good Works, 
an organization whose tagline, incidentally, is Love Through Action. Linda Peduto, a HeartWorks team member, has been volunteering with GoodWorks for many years. I've asked her to come speak for a few minutes about her experience with them. Good morning. You really need to volunteer for the Good Works Day. And here are two reasons. Donuts and coffee in the morning (laughs) and free lunch in the afternoon. Sometimes a hot lunch. I worked there last Saturday and we had pulled pork and potato chips with brownies for dessert. So, um, Good Works is a Christian-based organization started 25 years ago by Jim Ford. He went on a Habitat for Humanity weekend, and he thought, well, he worked at Habitat for Humanity down south somewhere, that my hometown needs this kind of work, and it needs help for existing homes, not just to build new homes. So he started Good Works, and has been helping Chester County residents who cannot afford needed home repairs. His mission is to help owners living below the poverty level keep their homes safe, warm, and dry. I became involved when my employer began sponsoring a home. My company supplies all the supplies and volunteers to do the work from beginning to end for a needy homeowner. We have worked on some homes for as long as 18 months. You may take your children with you, 13 years of age and up. And my first day at Good Works, I took my 13-year-old Michael. And we stood outside a home in Coatesville. There was a series of um, homes burned by pyromania about nine or ten years ago. Rubble homes. And several of them were totally destroyed. We were outside of the end home, and that unit could be salvaged. The, there is a tech team leader with you and a team leader with you who are knowledgeable and they had outlined the work to be done for the day. We stood outside that home and there was a ladder up to the roof. And he said, who wants to go up and rip off the roof that needs to be removed? And nobody said anything (laughs) except my son who said, I want to, and headed for the ladder. (laughs) Now, Lauren talked about fear. I have a fear of heights. I followed my kid up the ladder because how could I let my kid go up on top of a roof without his mother supervising? And by the way, if you do bring your child, you are responsible for supervising. (laughs) So up the roof I went that day. But... um, Again, you are never asked to do anything you don't want to do, and you are never given a task that you aren't given the tools and the knowledge to complete. In those nine years, I have painted, scraped, caulked, measured, installed drywall, sanded, done demolition, 
done floor installation, helped with electrical wiring, I've dug ditches, I've replaced windows, done plumbing, gutter repair, and storm door insulation. I have learned how to use all kinds of tools, including nail guns, sawzalls, and even a jackhammer. Have you ever heard of win-win, a win-win situation? Volunteering with GoodWorks is a win-win, win-win situation. You are meeting and working with people who have similar intent. You meet with the homeowners, you meet with the technical people, and you meet with other volunteers. Secondly, you learn skills that you can use in your own home. I have now done wiring in my own home and caulking and um, insulating and uh, several of the skills that I've learned, I've used in my own home. Third, third win, you're being a role model for your child. And that child is going to feel good about himself or herself in helping. And they're going to know that it's the thing that we're made up of is helping others. And fourth, you're making a difference in people's lives. If you volunteer twice, we have four occasions to volunteer. On your second time there, you will get a t-shirt. Good work. There's my t-shirt. It's got some paint on it. It's been well-worn. Um, and here's what it says on the back. The joy of good works, a good works volunteer, is to love what you do and know that it makes a difference. So I urge you to sign up for the good works volunteer days. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. So there you have it. If you would like to volunteer for Good Works Day of Service, there is a place to do that in your order of service. The same is true of HeartWorks, or you can talk to me. When we are driven by the heart, what unfolds between us as individuals, in our ministries, in our communities, and eventually bubbling over into our larger societies, breeds common sense, groundedness in humanity. This is not a one-lifetime task. But who better than us to be doing it? I'd like to close with a poem that Parker Palmer includes in his book. It is by Rainer Maria Rilke, and it's called Turning Point. For there is a boundary to looking, and the world that is looked at so deeply wants to flourish in love. Work of the eyes is done now. Go and do heart work on all of the images imprisoned within you. And as we ponder the work of our eyes, may it be connected to the work of our minds, hearts, and our hands in beautiful unity. For we as humans are unique in our awareness that we can make things better. Let it become. Will you pray with me? Spirit of our understanding, give us clarity to see where our hearts lead us. 
Lend us courage to move forward with what we know is right to heal and strengthen one another. Give us patience and simplicity so that we may learn what we need to from each other. Help us to grow not only our own purpose, but in that of our beautiful and holy interconnection. In love and life, amen.